Hey, folks. This week, we focus on big news out of New York. A Manhattan grand jury has indicted two Trump corporations and its CFO, Alan Weisselberg, over an alleged 15-year tax fraud scheme. These are the first charges stemming from DA Cy Vance's long-running investigation into the Trump Organization's business practices. In other news, Bill Cosby was released from prison after the Pennsylvania Supreme Court overturned his sexual assault conviction. Joyce Vance and I discuss all this and more on the Cathay Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cathay Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com insider. That's cafe.com insider. And for a limited time, use the code Joyce for 50% off the annual membership price. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community. While I was gone, <laughs> something happened. I actually took a, a few hour pause in my vacation to read the Trump Organization and Alan Weisselberg indictment, just because I didn't want to be too behind and, you know, I can't help myself. And I know you've talked about it a bit on television and people have been speculating about it. I'm a little confused about various aspects of it. So I'm trying to think, where should we begin with this indictment? And I guess among the questions that people have and that I have are, what does this mean for the organization? Is this the tip of the iceberg, as some people have said, or is it kind of the end because this is all they have? What are the consequences for the Trump organization writ large? Does this mean Weisselberg is definitely not cooperating? Does this mean Weisselberg may be compelled to cooperate? Where do you want to start? You know, I feel like the answer to those questions, the important questions, is mostly maybe. But here, here's where I'd like to start. Oh, I want some definite answers, Joyce. Yeah, I, I think we all do. And I think one of the realities here is we may have to try to live with um, our impatience a bit. But let me just start by saying this. It is an obvious point, but I think it's getting walked past too quickly in a lot of cases. This is an indictment that includes the Trump Corporation. The only individual is Alan Weisselberg. It is not the indictment of, you know, Donald Trump or any of his children. And so we should focus on the indictment in that sense. I find it to be a strong and compelling indictment of Alan Weisselberg, who is named in all 15 counts of the indictment. And so that's my baseline. That's where I start on this. Yeah, so, so let's take it one step at a time. With respect to the case as made out, as pled in the indictment against Alan Weisselberg, and we'll come back to the Trump Corporation and the Payroll Corporation in a moment. Those are the two entities that were charged. I find it to be a very strong case. Whether people think it's serious enough or substantial enough, we can talk about that too in a second. But for what is charged, to me, it's strong. The idea that it was confusing and unknowable and, and ambiguous what constitutes salary or payment for which every American has to pay taxes, unless you're a multi-billionaire, and that's a separate story, because there are various means of getting out of that, as has been reported. It's a substantial amount. Is it a billion dollars? No. But it's 900 some odd thousand dollars of taxes that this fairly wealthy person, Alan Weisselberg, was supposed to pay and didn't pay. It's over a period of years. So it's not like one year they sort of made a mistake and there was an accounting error. And then a point that I think is understated a lot, uh, both in the media and actually in trials of these kinds of cases, is who is Alan Weisselberg? One of the defenses you would 
expect in a tax case, and you see it all the time, is I didn't know, I was confused, I was relying on other folks, I don't really understand the tax law. And by the way, Donald Trump made such a statement at the podium uh, at a rally he had over the weekend. And yet they go after good, hardworking people for not paying taxes on a company car. Company car. You didn't pay tax on the car or a company apartment. You used an apartment because you need an apartment because you have to travel too far where your house is and didn't pay tax or education for your grandchildren. I don't even know. Do you have to? But does anybody know the answer to that stuff? Alan Weisselberg is a sophisticated business person who was not only most recently the CFO, the chief financial officer of the Trump organization, he was the company's accountant. He understands numbers, he understands finances, and he certainly understands taxes. And then you have on top of all of that, you have allegations in the indictment that I'm sure are readily provable that the Trump organization kept track of what Alan Weisselberg's compensation was supposed to be. And even though they didn't provide a W-2 or didn't withhold taxes for things like tuition for his grandkids, uh, rental of a car, rental of an apartment, that the Trump organization considered those things to be very clearly salary. And if it's a salary, you have to pay taxes on it. So on its face, strong case, doesn't have a lot of defense. I mean, one of the things, I mean, I wonder what you think about the defenses. One is mistake, which seems to be not really a strong defense here. Some argument that taxes were not required to be paid. That seems like a loser. That he relied on outside folks. The indictment also makes clear that you know, these other bits of salary and compensation were not conveyed to the accountant who did the tax returns. And then there's this last point, selective prosecution. I mean, in particular, there were spreadsheets kept by the Trump organization that made clear that Alan Weisselberg was supposed to get some amount of compensation. And when some of that compensation came in the form of these quote-unquote fringe benefits, like the apartment and the car, they adjusted his actual separate salary accordingly. So they considered it to be compensation. What's the defense here, Joyce? I think we heard the defense from Trump during his weekend rallies. An interesting thing that he's out talking about the case, and we can take that up later. But it's interesting that they skipped to a real non-defense, right? The non-defense is, oh, who even knows how the tax code works? Well, this is the uh, ex-president who in 2016, you know, tweeted, you should elect me because I know more about the tax code than anyone that God has ever put on this earth. I know more formulas. I know more about tax abatements. I know more about taxes than any human being that God ever created. And wait, Joyce, can we pause on that for a second? Explain to the folks, if there ends up being a charge against Trump along these lines, that statement is admissible in court, is it not? I believe that that would be an admission against interest. So it would come in as an exception to the hearsay rule for those who were playing along with the rules of evidence at home. But but doesn't matter so much. It is interesting for us, but doesn't matter so much with respect to the case against Alan Weisselberg, right? You know, I guess what the thrust of a defense for Weisselberg is selective prosecution. And that's this narrative that that the lawyers for Trump org were running in advance of the indictment coming down. They were obviously trying to soften the blow, saying, oh, this is just a fringe benefit case. And the more that I read the indictment, I realized, yes, this is in some ways a fringe benefits case, but it is a fringe benefits plus case. There is, you know, a lot going on here. 15 years, two sets of books, 
lots of money involved and flagrant violations of the rules. And I'm reminded when I moved to Alabama in the late 1980s, there had been a couple of notorious prosecutions, tax prosecutions of restaurants for keeping two sets of books. One of them was one of my favorite barbecue places. And the reason the state did that, something that it had not previously done, was to create some deterrence. You know, you don't want this stuff to get out of hand. And at some point, you have to take a stand when you bump into really flagrant examples of this sort of fraud. You got to go ahead and prosecute. This is a flagrant example. It's not selective prosecution. And there are other little tidbits as well that that have gotten lost. But if you read the document, you see that among other tax avoidance parts of the scheme, Alan Weisselberg basically misled tax authorities with respect to his residence in New York City. And if you're lucky enough to live and work in New York City, you pay separate local tax, not just state and federal. Uh, and that amounted to a you know, considerable amount over time as well. So he did it for a long time. He should have known better. There's really not much of a defense here. So I think it's a, it's a strong case. Now, there's some confusing aspects to it. Let me go through a couple. One is with respect to the tax fraud scheme, much of the tax avoidance was with respect to federal taxes. Now, if you willfully avoid paying your taxes to the federal government, usually that's something that's investigated by the IRS, you know, criminal side, along with the relevant U.S. Attorney's Office, which would be my old office, SDNY, and people have made this point. They don't seem to be anywhere in the case here. Why would that be? Andy McCarthy, alum of SDNY, Uh, who now writes for the National Review Online, says correctly that historically, this is true when I was leading the office, that historically, if there was a federal case to be made, we would make it at SDNY and not just cede that to the local DA's office. Why, Why is SDNY not prosecuting something? Do you think the IRS looked at this and doesn't care? How do you explain their absence? It's a very interesting question. So I think that there are possibilities here. One is, as you say, that the IRS looked at this and said that they weren't interested. It seems to me that that would be inconsistent with the sorts of cases that are routinely prosecuted. You know, every April, there's a deluge of cases involving prominent people in local communities across the country who U.S. attorneys indict to create some level of deterrence. This case would have certainly qualified for that. So perhaps there's some speculation that Bill Barr would have made it impossible for DOJ, for the tax division to get Trump taxes or any of the underlying documentation that Cy Vance had. And so it's possible that this indictment could have triggered some sort of investigation at DOJ. We don't know that for certain. But I have a question for you. Is it possible that as a part of Weisselberg testifying in grand jury, for which he was, you know, during the New York investigation, he testified in grand jury. I can't remember right now if it was SDNY or part of the Mueller investigation, but he was given some form of limited immunity to testify. Is it possible that that immunity deal means that there can't be federal prosecution on these charges? I think it's possible. I just don't know all the details. I don't know enough that's been reported. I don't know that there's been any formal representation in the court that, that I'm aware of, but I, but I could have missed it. So that's possible. It's also possible that this wasn't an SDNY investigation and I didn't look at this material and 
maybe they'll look at it now. I mean, it's also possible, people may not like this, notwithstanding what we've said about the seriousness of the tax avoidance scheme that went on for years and years and years, that it's not the kind of case that they might have otherwise brought. And it might be, in the minds of some, something to be settled civilly. If you want to put the significance of this case and the scale of this case on the spectrum of cases brought by SDNY, or for that matter, even the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, it is not the case of the century. And I don't know if that offends people who are you know, looking for a particular outcome, but it's not. And that goes right to the question of whether or not Weisselberg will flip. And if he does flip, does he have substantial assistance that he can give to prosecutors with respect to someone else, namely Donald Trump? So we have a question from a, a listener who tweeted, this is GWO underscore design. Can someone explain to me why Weisselberg wouldn't flip? Are the chances of conviction that low? Or are prospects of jail time? Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. And for a limited time, use the code Joyce for 50% off the annual membership price. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. <laughs>